Welcome to the Financial Advisors Edge Podcast, a show created by financial advisors for financial advisors. Are you ready for some straight talk about building and growing a financial services practice? Four advisors in different states at different firms that have each built $100 million plus practices from scratch the right way through hard work, doing the right thing, and having fun while doing it. It's time for you to get the edge. Here are your hosts, Brad Warhurt, Jeff Copeland, Jim Martin, and Greg Gonzalez. Hey, and welcome into the show. My name is Jim Martin. I am joined by Greg Gonzalez and Brad Warhurst. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. Guys, we have a great show lined up. We are talking about capacity and actually the myth of capacity the capacity word is thrown around in our business like i don't know like it's a it's a frisbee at a park everybody talks about capacity everybody's got a really strong opinion on on how many clients they can service and we have a bit a bit of a different spin on it and i'm excited to jump in there but before we get into our show i want to let you guys know who we are, what we're all about, and how you can connect with us. Look, we're three guys who have built $100 million-plus practices sharing our ideas and how we got there. Uh, We were scratch starters, which meant we did not start or inherit a business. We started from zero and built our books up, and our goal is to share those ideas with you. If you want to connect with us, you, we have a private Facebook group. It's called the Financial Advisors Edge Community. You can go out to Facebook and search for it and find us right there. But more importantly, we have a private coaching group called the Century Club. Look, if you're trying to get better, you're trying to grow your practice, you're trying to scale, I highly encourage you to check out the Century Club. Century Club, it's a small group. We limit the uh, the membership, and we're almost at capacity. I think we've got five spots left. So if you're interested, go out to thefaedge.com, click on the Century Club, and learn more about it. You do not want to miss it if you want to grow your practice. It's an incredible value at the price we're offering it at. I think we should raise the prices, but Greg's a humanitarian and will not allow us to, um, so he's trying to save the world one advisor at a time. Now, with that said, let's just jump right into this this topic of capacity and, and talk about it. Let's just start with Greg. You're at the bottom of my screen. You, you look like you're very eager to speak capacity. <laughs> is it a myth? Is it reality? What do you think? You know, I, I never liked this word um, because if, if we're all, if let's just say, you know, we all agree and, and I don't think we'll ever agree on this. And I, I don't think, uh, you know, these, these rule of thumbs are, are appropriate for anybody, but, but let's say it's 200 households is kind of your capacity that you're, your broker dealer or whoever you clear through it, it tells you okay your capacity so so what is it you, you stop once you get to that number i mean what what is the, how, how is that useful is it um why i don't like this is because i think it, it limits it it puts a a lid or a cap on, on people's potential growth in this business that that's my my biggest um you know, uh, flaw that I, that I see in this whole discussion is capacity. It's all, oh, I'm getting, co- I'm getting close to capacity. I, I, I better start scaling back now before I, you know, go through that limit. And, and then I don't know what to do. So the capacity, you know, um, it's going to be different for every advisor based on their service model. So if you have, you know, clients that have, you know, for example, let's say you have 300 households and you have clients that are A, B, and C, 
if you want to call them gold, silver, and bronze, they all have their own, you know, uh, service model. You know, obviously the gold or the A clients have their own level of service and, and on down. I, I think easily you could handle 300 households. But if you're trying to say, okay, well, we have all you know, the same service model for all 300 people, which, you know, I, I would argue is, you know, probably I, I, I would, um, I would question the wisdom in that, then yeah, I, I, I think we could, you can have a, an honest discussion on, okay, if every household, every single client gets the same level of service, well, yeah, one advisor might have some, some time limitations just because there's only, only so many hours in the day and only so many days in the year. Right. Yeah. Good stuff, Greg. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Brad, Brad what do you think? I don't remember what the question is. Capacity. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 do you think, uh, do you think people have capacity issues? Uh, we, we hear numbers thrown around like 40, a hundred, 175. Yeah. That's all an advisor can service. Is that BS or is that uh, reality? Yeah, I think it's BS that we get in the industry, and as we grow, we convince ourselves of our industry's own bullshit. Uh, we can edit that out, I suppose. <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> All right, good. We're not. <laughs> no, but you know, Greg, let's go. Let's go back to the number three hundred. I I don't know about you guys, but what do you but what do you budget for a time uh, allocation that you actually need to handle in a in a calendar year for a for a household, even an A household? How much time are we spending? I mean, I don't think it, four hours. Yeah, I mean, at Greg, max. how about you? Yeah, so I do. I do client segmentation, and obviously, the A clients are are going to get a higher level of service. I even have some that I meet with semi annually, and in each meeting is an hour and a half. So people talk about their kids and family and their goals and sure. Stuff. So, so you, so yeah, a client, three hours worth of meetings and budget yourself an hour's worth of behind the scenes work that you need to do for them in a year. Four hours is fair. Yeah, four. I'd say four to five. Yeah, it, it, it's right. gonna. It's also gonna be different if you have a team behind you to help. You know, update oh, we're getting plan. there. My explanation's getting okay. there, buddy. Okay, <laughs> right. So that's an hour. I said an hour's worth of behind the scenes work that you have to do. So I suppose this this topic lends itself to some of the other things that we were talking about in the past. Like, I suppose you get to capacity a lot quicker if you're running a very disorganized and inefficient shop. But the number of tasks that you are personally responsible for should basically be be client facing and a little bit of stuff you have to do behind the scenes you should be delegating the rest but let's use the four hour number right jim you know what's what's nick what did nick murray always say 250 households greg just said 200 to 300 well, let's do the math how, how many yeah. weeks a year does somebody want to work let's imagine they want 10 weeks of vacation is that fair I mean, advisors get pretty lazy as they get successful. Sure. Right. So, so we're at 42 weeks a year, right? So something like that. And let's imagine, you know, you've got eight hours in a day, five days a week, but let's imagine you want one day a week off to golf, to fish, to hunt, whatever the heck you're going to do. So you're going to work four days a week. Yeah. So, hike. Yeah. Hike. Well, you know, whatever, whatever is important to you. Right. So let's, that's, that's 32, that's 32 hours a week. Let's just say 30 hours a week because you're probably going to come in late one morning because you slept in. So that right. gives us 1260 hours, right? That that's what it is. And then you divide that by four, your capacity is 315. 315. Yeah. I mean, get, get, that's, that's ridiculous. And like, that's all a clients. That's all a clients. Which right. we, we we all wish we had 315 A clients who want to meet us twice a twice a year and have two million dollars. Right, and that's probably not the case. Um, so, 
capacity is bullshit. It is. I think it's more of a a time management too, because you've got, I I see all these advisors that just waste so much freaking time meeting with the wholesaler guy and doing this and doing that. And it's like, these are not client facing or revenue generating activities. Why the hell are you wasting your time with them? It just drives me nuts. But but that's why they don't. Oh well, I'm I'm at capacity. Well, yeah. If you didn't spend your time doing all this other BS, you, you'd actually have more time client facing, revenue generating activities. Brad, keep going. Sorry. Well, yeah, I want to I want to just piggyback on that as well. You know, there's another podcast I listen to, and they they talk about playing office. And there's a lot of advisors that come in, and you know, the first thing they do is open it up, going to CNBC, read the Wall Street Journal, do all bullshit, like. You should be doing revenue-producing activities. If you're not sitting across from clients or calling prospects or prospects or sitting across from them, what are you doing with your time? Like, What are you legitimately doing? And if you were doing those things with your time in the office, how often would you really have to be in the office? Right. You know, I, I think point. probably a lot of people, not just in our industry, spend eight hours a day in the office and maybe only get three or four hours of work done. I'm just guessing. I don't I don't read any studies on that. But uh, yeah, uh, Brad, I, 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 I had somebody say, well, I've got to be at the office because in case a client calls, um, you know, I want to be there. Uh, what? No. What? No, no. That's why we have assistance. We'll get to that right. in a second. But yeah. the other thing, the other thing I think is really important to know is four hours a year per client is BS as well. Mm-hmm. The reality is our work is front loaded in most of our relationships or when there's a life changing event, you know, a marriage, a retirement, a divorce, a death. But outside of that, after you set up the initial plan, it's autopilot. <laughs> it's it's absurd to think every client requires four hours. Some of them just require a checking call or a 30 minute meeting a year. Update yeah. the plan, make sure the beneficiaries are in line. We front load all of our work. And then once that's done, these things are on autopilot. So it's, I hear what people say, you know, I meet advisors who act like they spend 10 hours a year on a client doing what, like literally doing what, like, what are you doing? It takes 10 minutes to review the tax form. You're, you're not, you're not power washing their house for them. So what are you spending the time on? Maybe it's a value add. Maybe, maybe we are missing the boat and maybe the power washing thing is a key to client retention. Could be, you never know. But the other part, Brad, I don't want to steal your thunder. I want to kick it over. So There's a point where, you know, and maybe maybe it's hard for one person to handle 315 people. We get it without help. Like eventually, you're going to hit a number where you need to get help. Yep. And what what is that number, guys? Like when do you think somebody should get help, and what should they be doing? But but Jim, you know, if I hire help, that's going to cost me money, and my take home pay is going to go down because you know, gosh, what am I going to have to pay somebody fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year? Huh? That's that's excuses, excuses, excuses of why not to hire. And and a lot of advisors don't look at, okay, what's what's that person buying me as far as time? Yeah, you know, the, the rule that I kind of use for that is, you know, I look at what is our what could our job possibly entail, right? It's it's prospecting and servicing existing clients, right? Uh, that's the ultimate goal. So we'd love to spend all of our time just doing that preferably the servicing existing clients. There's a chunk of time throughout the year that we don't have a choice about, right? Like continuing ed, firm L, oh, sorry, Jim, RIA side, you don't have the same requirements, <laughs> but uh, you know what they say about RIAs? Yeah, you can't get along with them because they're pricks. But anyway, no. <laughs> we'll edit that one out too. We might edit that one out. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
but right. So there's, there's just things that we have to do that no amount of efficiency or anything. It can't be delegated. Like you got to do your continuing ed and that could be continuing ed for licensing, you know, insurance, securities, whatever could be continuing ed for designations. You can't have your assistant do that stuff. So you can deduct that time off a year, you know, right off the bat. But I would say as far as when it's time to get help is, you know, the other, the other component of, of what we do is, you know, the back office stuff, the, the running the business, the, um, you know, the paperwork, the client calls and stuff like that. So my rule of thumb on, on when that you need help is when does doing the other stuff, right? The support role activities, when does that start cutting into your time for doing the primary two of prospecting and servicing existing clients, right? Like if you're willing to work 90 hours a week, when you start, and you are are prospecting all reasonable hours of the day already when people are awake. You know, you're not going to knock on somebody's door at midnight. And you're willing to, you know, sit on the couch and do your paperwork from a laptop at 10 o'clock at night, then uh, yeah, sure, you don't need any help if that's what you want to do. But if you're trying to work normal hours and you get into the point where you're like, you know, I'd love to get another seminar going or I'd love to expand a digital lead territory or whatever, but you can't do it because you're busy doing the other tasks, it's time to delegate them and get some help. I think yeah, I agree for, for us. I, I look at it as every $25 million, you, you probably can add administrative staff to it, depending upon the size of your book. You Greg's is obviously different because he has asset minimums uh, that are yeah. much, much stricter than mine are. So his, his client number are going to be less, but if you're running asset minimums of $200,000 or a hundred grand, then 25 million of assets is going to be enough clients for an admin to handle. And uh, right. you, again, you never want to get your your office team to capacity. They do have a definitive capacity. They have a very strict capacity, and you you, re you really want to be under them. And and I think Greg, the other point is a lot of firms. This this idea of capacity was was floated by wirehouses and regional regional firms back in like the early two thousands. They, they looked at was they wanted to grow, but their bigger biggest advisors had five hundred seven hundred relationships. And they ended up building these calculators and doing, you know, GKs and 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 gifting programs where they give new advisors assets. And they said, oh, you're. They they, they refer people to Supernova Advisor. Said, oh, if you can't, you, you can only handle 200 households or whatever the number was. The whole concept of that was so you would give all your other households away to other people, <laughs> and yeah. and thereby allowing you know John and Fred to start start with 10 million in assets and not fail that's what the that's the idea the antithesis of this uh this capacity argument i know people don't like to go back in time to figure out why these kind of ideas were floated but it's became like woven into the fabric of uh of it greg for you like when when do you make hires like when do you decide that it's right for you to hire people in your business i i think that you know you brought up that that 25 million kind of as a rule of thumb and and i've heard that over and over again and and it's 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 actually pretty true, you know. Uh, of course, you know, depending on your on your average client household, you know, um, you know that that might uh, that might differ. But uh, getting back to what you said, Jim, it was years ago. They they UBS did a study and they looked at like what their number one guy at like the you know the the national meeting and they and and the guy had forty households. And he was the number one producer at UBS. So they were kind of thinking, well, gosh, we need to replicate what this guy's doing for all of our other advisors. And yeah, he was in California and, and he had celebrities and he had, you know, big, big business people. I mean, just you know, his average account size is, you know, nothing like ours. So I, I think an advisor like that's, you know, probably an anomaly. 
but uh, but that's that was kind of their their train of thought and where they were headed. But I yeah, I think you know that getting back to that 25 million mark, I think that's a good and you kind of know if you have any somewhat of a finger on the pulse of your business, you you kind of know when to hire and and you got to communicate with your team to say, "Hey, how are we doing here? Are we kind of falling behind on things or are things falling through the cracks?" You know, and and I actually had an assist, my assistant um was it last year said, "Hey, I'm this is this is just too much for me. I just feel overwhelmed. And it was kind of like, okay, that's <laughs> we better get on it. And and you gotta kind of um, you know, we had a fantastic episode with Jim on how to hire, how to fire, how to build that A team rock star t- uh, talent. And you gotta be slow to hire. So if you want to hire somebody, if you need somebody now, the time to start looking is six months ago. Yeah, right? right. You you can't you can't just hire quick. It was if I remember what Jim said, slow to hire, quick to fire. Yeah, yeah, and and I think it's um I think it's important to know that we're not saying that some you need to work with five hundred clients. I I think that's really important. It's your business is your business. That's the beauty of what we do. You get to build it however you want. Brad's business is entirely different from mine, and mine is definitely different from Greg's, and yeah. just is different from all of ours. And I think there, I think the the truer thing to look at is what is your ideal client number? We're gonna call that your ICN, I, ideal client number. What's your ICN? And you're gonna back into that based upon how much you want to work, what's your average client size, and what do you want your practice to look like? And guys, is that is that a metric that makes more sense than throwing around like, oh, my capacity is 85 clients? Is it is there is there an ideal because your capacity is by the way, I want to make sure we underline this. Your capacity is way more unless you're just a lazy bum. <laughs> Way more. And that's okay to be a lazy boss. Like you can be lazy in this business, but what's your ideal client number? Greg, do you have one? Yeah, it's in my head, you know, you're right. I'm working a heck of a lot less than I was, you know, the first five years in this business. The first five years in this business, I was working easy 50, 60 hours a week because most of my time was spent prospecting. Now I'm at the point where, you know, probably 30% of my time is spent prospecting. 75, 70% of my time, I got to do the quick better math there, uh, 70 and 30, uh, 70% of my time is is kind of client facing and, you know, rev- revenue generating activities. Um, so, so I'm not yet there. Um, but, uh, but here, here's the way I kind of do it a little you know, somewhat different as we were talking about in the beginning of the episode. I, I actually, and I'll, and I'll share this with the Century Club, kind of how many meetings I want to have per month, how many review meetings I want to have. And I know this may sound crazy, but but basically once I get to that, you know, okay, I'm, I'm maxed out for that month, um, you know, I, I, I'm... You know, for example, if if I said um, it's it's twenty meetings per month is what that that's the most amount of review meetings I want to have, and, and that's not uh, you know based on my calendar, but but twenty times twelve is two um, what Brad um, two hundred and forty yeah two hundred and forty so that's kind of how I did it, and like I said, I'll, I'll share that uh, calendar, but for me it's it is around two forty two fifty um, is kind of kind of what I have thought of as I, but again, that that's assuming that I'm working, uh, all 12 months. And as we know, um, I'm taking November off. So, yeah. How about you, Brad? Brad, you take a different spin. Like you, you look at potential clients through a different lens than Greg does. 
uh, from a profitability perspective. What do you have a do you have an ideal client number or are you just you just stacking Benjamins? <laughs> <laughs> All the presidents are welcome, Jim. <laughs> um, you know, I don't have an ideal client number because what I've done over time and what I think I'm going to continue doing for the foreseeable future is um, you know, when I get close to not my capacity, um, but my ideal client number, uh, what I did somewhat recently was I brought on a junior. And that's, you know, between uh, junior advisors and additional staff, um, I don't really think that there is a reasonable limit to capacity because you could just keep stacking on the infrastructure to build out. Uh, Jim, I think I'm a little bit different of a mindset in that regard is to you. I, I think that's the model that you kind of have, but I think yours is more intentional than mine. Mine is more so that like uh, the the machine is oiled up and running, and as long as it's bringing, you know, as long as it's spitting out business at the other end, you know, we might as well take it. So I'm not, you know, I'm not expanding beyond a solo practice uh, capacity because it's some long term goal of mine. It's it's just the way that it's working out with the way the marketing plan has worked, and I don't mind doing it. I I kind of am back to enjoying the industry and the job, so keep it rolling. It's awesome. So one thing I want to interject for Jim goes, so, so is the question, what is each of our, each advisor, like Jim, Brad, and Greg, what is their, this is where it kind of gets convoluted, right? So, so Brad, what is your ideal client number? Well, he's, he's saying, well, I can keep adding associate advisors to my team and it's, it's infinite. Sure. And, and that that's correct. So his, whereas another advisor, uh, and I, I'm the, of the three of us, I'm the only one who doesn't yet have a associate advisor. Um, I'm still thinking in the, in the mindset of, you know, for myself, but at, at some point, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be the last one to the party, so to speak, and, and bring on associate advisor. So my number will, uh, my answer will probably at some point be just like, uh, Jim and Brad's. Yeah. Greg, let me, I, I actually, uh, let me explain that a little bit. So, you know, I think something of that I've done a pretty good job of over the years is really, um, I, I would, I would guess that every client in your book basically would be an A client in mine. Uh, I'm Pro guessing. Probably. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, even my B clients are probably ones just from just from past episodes that, that you might not take. So one thing that comes along with that is while you could certainly service on an entire book like an A client, many certainly don't need to be. And and it's not that you'll upset them, but you really like they don't care. I, I tried that when I first started. You know, I have like I treat everybody like an A client because I don't have that many clients. And you know, the reality is uh, of my more than double the Nick Murray number of households. Uh, a whole pile of them are are younger people with minimal needs. You know, maybe they need some term insurance, start up Roth IRAs, five twenty nines, keep their four hundred one k in check. They don't want a detailed financial plan. And on, let's be honest with ourselves: if you're twenty five or thirty years old, I mean, you uh, you can have all the details you want. It's not you know thirty years from now. It's it's not it's going to change. Right? right. Yeah. So they need someone to get them started, encourage them, keep them on, you know, keep them on track. Um, maybe a sounding board for some life decisions, but they're not four hour a year clients. In fact, a lot of them, when we talk by phone or Zoom once a year, the offer to come in, the answer is no. Right. They just don't yeah. need anything. Right. So I think, you know, my number of ideal households, one, so one key component to that is I don't have any unprofitable households. I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe the ones that start at dollar zero the first couple of months, but if you tailor the service level and the way that you service them to the 
to the client, you know, you can do a lot more with a lot less. Um, and you know, I'm saying other other things that I I obviously I, I have to run some efficiencies in my practice. So over time, I did things like, you know, I stopped for the most part the the traveling to people or to workplaces, except for for prospecting, and that. You know, it doesn't seem like a lot to go to a client's workplace on their lunch break if it's 10 minutes from your office or 15 minutes from your office. But, you know, when you count the round trip, trip when you count the buffer time, when you got to plug in the meeting for a half hour, 45 minutes or an hour, even if you think it'll be a quick review, all of a sudden you've melted two hours out of your day that could have been 20 minutes most likely. Schedule it as a, as a Zoom and you just freed up an hour and 40 minutes. So I think it's if you're going to go down the route that I have, you have to design your systems and your infrastructure around servicing the Bs and the Cs in a way that's still a good value for them and still makes sense financially for you. So I think that that impacts the capacity question uh, quite a bit and it makes it so it's not as easy for me to give a number. You know, could I add another with my current infrastructure? Could I add another 100 um, you know, B clients? Yeah, pretty easily. Could I add another hundred of Greg level A clients? Maybe not. You know, so I, I think it depends on what type of clients are the next hundred. Right. That's so, a and by very, the, that's yeah. a very good point because you. you know, like for example, ninety percent of my client base is fifty-five and older, and 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 they're they're inheriting mom and dad's IRAs. They're doing Roth conversions. They get much more. They're, you know, uh, signing up for Medicare. They need help, you know, all these different things that they're doing. So their their financial lives are just a lot more complex than the person, you know, like you said, that's 25, 30 years old, that's dollar cost averaging, which by the way, Brad's book is, is very, very, it has so much growth potential because he's got so many people dollar cost averaging into this growing monster of a book. Yeah, I have to say, Greg, um, I absolutely have more dollar cost averaging in than I have RMDs out. Okay, yeah. and I know. I mean, yeah. when I talk, yeah, Jim, are you? Uh, I'm the opposite. I, I I was gonna say I bet most advisors when I talk to other advisors sometimes and I hear about people with. You know, five, six, eight, ten million a year in RMDs, and I'm just—it's a foreign concept to me because I'm totally the other way around, right? So, and so if if Jim's on the other way around, just to replace, assuming those RMDs are being taken out and then being spent and not reinvested into a brokerage account, we've talked about that. Um, Jim's got just to kind of stay whole, assuming no market growth, right? He's, he's got to replace those assets going out the door from RMDs and, and clients that are retired living on the money. I just wanted to point something out when I have this conversation, a lot of times in my career, pretty commonly, I get the response of, I want to look for, you know, doctors, lawyers, business owners, that executives, whatever, you know, the standard answer that everybody gives that they work with in our industry. I just want to point out. Just because I built out an infrastructure that can accommodate this, yeah, me too. I still want client. I still would rather someone come to me with seven figures. I'm not looking for fifty dollar a month Roth IRAs. I just built out a support infrastructure that, if I've already done the marketing, and those people end up coming through anyway, and they've already booked a meeting, and I've already spent that some of that front loaded time, why not take their business? Because, like you guys mentioned, you know, over time. It, it it builds into a monster. So it's not that I look for <laughs> look for the smaller clients. It's just I have the system to accept them if they come through the funnel. Yeah, and there's a lot more of them. I mean, if we're going to be honest, yeah. there's, 
there's a lot more of people that are 40 years old with $50,000 who can save 500 bucks a month than there are people with two and a half million dollars, especially in rural areas like Brad and I live in. Yep. It's just, just the ways I have a little bit different take on my, on my business. Um, you know, I feel like my capacity is, uh, is unlimited like everybody else's cause you can scale and add pieces on, but I really only want to work personally with 75 people when it's all said and done. Uh, I don't want to work with more. Uh, and that's more because it's more because that's the lifestyle I want to leave now. But yeah. I do have two two other advisors, and I I want them to be at two fifty. So I feel like our our ideal client number at our firm's uh, five seventy five. I really don't want to hire more people beyond what I have, because the more you hire, the you remember you can scale like a fisher, but holy mackerel, the infrastructure to support that is just massive. And not all of us want to do it or even capable of doing it. But our plan is um, is obviously like Brad talked about to service some of our smaller tier clients more effectively. But reality is um, we'll probably graduate some people out like we have before. It's okay. Like if you've grown to a size where you're, okay, I've hit my ideal client number. I don't want to add more and I don't want to add more people. Well, what's the other choice? Well, you get rid of some of your smaller tier clients and you move them to Fidelity or Vanguard or another advisor and you can, where you sell a piece of your book. There's a lot of, you're not stuck is what, I, what I'm trying to say here. You, right. can, you can move those clients out if you need to. And that's what we'll end up doing. Uh, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll go through and look and say, we probably need to tap them on the shoulder, but we're adding 30, 40 clients a year. Um, and the other choice so we're going to hit our capacity as soon as what my whole point on, but the other choice you do is you just raise your minimum higher. Like all of a sudden your minimum was two fifty, and you're, you're getting near your ideal client number. Okay, cool. For the next 30 clients I'm going to add, maybe my, maybe my minimum is 500,000 or seven fifty or a million. So, you know, be in control of your ship and you can run it like Brad, or you can run it like Greg or me, or like you want to, but don't run around saying you can only work with 40 people. It's just baloney. I just, as you were talking, I, I, you know, I kind of think the three of us would pretty much run in like a, all in separate tiers. We have the whole gamut here. You know, Greg is more on the exclusively a clients. I'm on the other end of the spectrum of I, as long as you're, as long as you're pleasant to deal with and want help, I'll take you. And Jim, it sounds like you're kind of somewhere in the middle. Yep. I, and I think Jeff is kind of in the middle too, probably closest to Jim, but we've so. got it all. We've got it all covered here. And, and and you you get to determine you know as the advisor who who what's your ideal client that you, that you want to work with and then it's just a matter of Nick Murray said this over and over and over again the biggest problem in our business is not enough qualified prospects and it, that that's if we all had you know uh, you know just a line of people at the door ready yep. to hire us that were qualified well you'd say okay I, I'll take everybody w- with the most amount like a, a million and I'll only work with those people the fact of the matter is is we don't. So, and a lot of people don't want to spend the money, don't want to get the training, don't want to put money into marketing or, or prospecting, and they don't want to do the work that that's required to, 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 uh, to get the clients in the first place. But, you know, I guess kind of when I was in this business, I started out as an administrative assistant. And I think that's what put a bad taste in my mouth with the lower tier, you know, C and D clients. They, in, in, you know, I, I was, I don't know, two, three years as an administrative assistant, I kept thinking to myself, gosh, I'm spending all my time with the C and D clients who are, you know, oh, we, we want to cash out that Roth IRA. We want to cancel the term insurance. We, we want to change this. It's like, 
wow, these people are a huge pain in my ass. And, and not only that, <laughs> we're not making any money on these people, you know? So they, yeah, they'd have that $50,000 rollover, but they'd cash it out within, you know, six months because they want to go buy a car with it. So I, I think that's what led to me making the decision of, okay, if I have a choice here, I'm going to, I'm going to work with the, the A and B clients. Yeah. Yeah. You get to, you get to choose how you build it, which is the most fascinating thing. You get to choose whether you want to be a lifestyle practice, a growth practice, or you want to be a, almost a part-time kind of practitioner. Uh, let's go around the, around the horn for uh final thoughts. Greg, you might've given yours, but if you've got another one, we'd love to hear, but Brad, we'll go to you first. Yeah. I was going to say, Greg, that sounds an awful lot like a, like a final thought, but uh, yeah, I think the, I think the takeaway here is number one, Let's not call it capacity if it's not capacity. Let's call it a preference if it's a preference, and that's okay. But give it some give some thought about what you want your what is your preference and what type of practice you want to build, and then build everything around that. Right. I think back to my buddy I mentioned on uh, a couple episodes ago about my my buddy that's a mechanic and said that he wanted to only work on exotic cars, and I told him you know there's only two in our county and I own one of them, so good luck with that. You know, you got to build your business around around what you want it to look like. He should have relocated somewhere else. So, you know, if you want to build a, if you want to work with a hundred clients or two hundred clients, obviously you need high net worth. You need to prospect to net worth. You need to set up your practice to appeal to that asset level of person, and have a support structure for it. If you want to deal with a more volume practice. Uh, younger clients on average, build it around that, build the prospecting around it, build the support around it, build the service around it, integrate Zoom more because younger people are more comfortable with it. Um, so I would say that's my takeaway is it's probably not capacity. It's probably a preference. So figure out what it is and build the entire game plan around it. Yeah, that's, that's great stuff. I, and I, I would just end with don't have self-limiting beliefs, build it. You know, don't, don't just because... Yeah. Some Yahoo has said you can only serve 150 clients, build this idea that you can only get there. That's self-limiting. You you can build it like Greg, where you you've all of a sudden you've ramped up what what kind of size client you want, or you can build it like Brad, who has different service models. But the whole point around this is is just because you've read or heard this from somewhere, understand this advice is generally going to be BS. So just be very careful and understand where it comes from. But hey, I want to thank everybody for listening to the show. Uh, connect with us. Go out to thefaedge.com. Check out our uh, our website. There's lots of great information. And hey, if you're not part of the Century Club and you want to get better at what you're doing, I highly encourage people to look at it. We've got five spots left on the Century Club. We'd love for you to be one of them. So if you're a growth-oriented, you're a cool person, want to join a group of advisors trying to grow together, I highly uh, recommend you do. Remember, one client is going to replace the entire cost of this thing. So it's a, it's going to be huge ROI for folks who are uh, dialed in on it. But thanks. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to the show. Check us out at thefinancialadvisorsedge.com if you want to learn more about us. If you enjoyed the content, make sure to leave us a five-star review and tell your friends about us. The opinions that are expressed in the shows are that of each host only and don't necessarily reflect the opinion of the other hosts. Like the weather, our opinions can change. This podcast isn't intended to provide tax, legal, or investment advice. Always consult with a qualified professional. We cannot guarantee our opinions or forecasts are right. See you next week.